You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Hi, I'm Phil Hughes. And I'm Jen Doherty. We're the creators of The Workshop Presents. And you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show. I'm your host, Aaron Frail. On Aaron's Horror Show, we're going to go ahead and read some horror fiction and talk about horror in all its forms, books, movies, you name it. If you want to go ahead and get a hold of the show, you can go ahead and contact Aaron's Horror Show at Gmail or Aaron Horror Show on Twitter or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hi, welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. Uh, so, you know, I, I didn't really have any movies that I watched this week. Uh, it's been been some some busy stuff happening in my life, and, uh, you know, I, I just decided that I'd pull out this old essay about this horror movie that I watched a really long time ago. In fact, the only reason I remember it is because of writing this essay. I used to write, you know, a humor blog on the internet where I just kind of think of silly things to write and uh, write about it and, and often I would actually write about movies that I that I saw especially the bad ones uh, so you know here's another segment of I watch this so you don't have to and uh, the movie that I'm going to go ahead and feature in, in this segment here is a uh, waxwork 2 lost in time uh, just to kind of give you a brief synopsis of the very first movie it's kind of like a, a, a wax museum uh, you know comes alive and all these different horror movie tropes kind of go after the main characters well in, in waxwork 2 uh this hand survives from the first one a little wax hand that that you know comes alive and and then kind of you know starts the plot from there uh <laughs> you know uh, i'll just get into it in the essay so yeah another segment of i watch it so you don't have to and this essay is entitled Waxwork 2, Lost and Stupid. This movie is the all-purpose, multi-use, universal bad movie. It was a bad sci-fi, horror, and comedy wrapped into one. The best part of it is that it featured the acting talent of Bruce Campbell, Marina Ceridus, Drew Barrymore, and that guy that starred in the Gremlin films at their not-so-finest roles. This flick, my friends, is Waxwork 2, Lost in Time. The story begins where the last movie left off. The gremlins dude and his girlfriend burnt down a waxwork full of demons. One of the demons was John Reese davis as a werewolf that looked like a Taco Bell dog on steroids. Little did they know that a detached human hand survived. Oh, by the way, you know, 
this is me interjecting into my own essay. I know I brought up a lot of names, and I usually explain names. So really quickly, uh, Marina Siridis, if you don't know who she is, she is Counselor Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, Bruce Campbell, if you're listening to this and you don't know who Bruce Campbell is, then IMDB him right now because he is the, you know, uh, father of acting in B-horror movies, I guess. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know why. And then Drew Barrymore, yeah. Uh, little Girl in E.T. Movie career afterwards. And then the guy in Gremlins. And then uh, John Reese davies Oh, Gimli. Lord of the Rings. Also uh, from Indiana Jones. The Forget the name of his character. But anyways, those are the names that I just mentioned. Anyways, back to the essay. Little did they know, a detached human hand survived. His girlfriend attempts to sneak into apartment late, only to be met by her abusive father drinking beer. Not just any beer, mind you, the drink of choice for abusive stepfathers everywhere, a can simply labeled beer. Yes, beer brand beer. The brand that America trusts. Seriously, that can in the movie was just beer. That's all it said was beer. They didn't even, like, bother to make a label for that can. So anyways, the severed human hand following her apparently doesn't like beer. Just generic beer. So it kills the stepfather, and then she kills the hand by putting it into the garbage disposal, which spews enough blood to give a complete transfusion to an elephant. I'm fairly certain severed hands don't hold that much blood. Then again, those demon hands are pretty crafty. Later on, she is put on trial for the murder of her stepfather and decides to use the old severed hand defense. However, her defense doesn't work. Imagine that. In horror movie universes, the disembodied limb defense should be perfectly acceptable. Let's see a few examples of horror movie defenses. Number one. I didn't kill my wife. It was the severed hand. Where exactly is the other arm from the one-armed man? Harrison Ford had to figure out that one in the sequel to The Fugitive 2, Lost with a Severed Hand. Number 2. Breaking 2 Electric Boogaloo is a videotape that kills people. I swear. Number 3. He did warn me that it was pure concentrated evil and I shouldn't touch it. And number 4. That's the last time Kane will eat cafeteria food. But dum bum Kane, alien, huh? Anyway, since the lady from Waxwork 2 is faced with the death penalty for her crime, she and the Gremlins guy do what any natural teenager would do to prove their innocence. Travel through time looking for the living component of the severed hand. Although they weren't really traveling through time, they were more like traveling through cheap knockoffs of popular movies. In one sequence, the female lead is stuck on a spaceship where alien beings are using humans to reproduce. Hmm? Sound familiar much? She stepped into some, some bizarro world where the movie Alien is basically the same thing except everyone has goatees. The best part is the smaller spaceship she tries to escape on is literally the space shuttle. Yes, we are talking the space shuttle. Yes, the space shuttle is still in service, apparently, that they use for escape craft. 
like what they do resurrected out of you know <laughs> the the Johnson Space Center uh the the Smithsonian yeah don't know if they thought that one through so you know i was wondering if they would actually you know be selling the space shuttle on eBay because eBay is a really great place to uh list for the space shuttle why go for these fancy new spaceships when you can fly the equivalent of the Volkswagen Beetle i mean after 30 years of service, it's like the best flight to crash radio in the world. Starting bid $2 plus $5 shipping and handling. Act today and I'll throw in a three pencil. Waxwork 2 heroes are not only traveling through time, they're in an alternate dimension going through God and Satan's Nintendo game. I'm serious, this actually happens in the movie. If God did have a N Nintendo game, it would be better than, you know cheap knockoffs of the movies like Alien, The Haunting, and Nosferatu. God probably plays like Grand Theft Auto Jerusalem or Sim Egypt, where Satan can use his pharaoh to have the chosen people make pyramids. Realistically, if God and Satan were playing video games to decide the battle between good and evil, the game would probably be Contra. Satan and God are sitting in their living room playing video games. God. Let's see. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, B, A, start. 30 lives, yeah! Hey, Satan, don't steal my guys when you die. God, I don't do that. Satan, I'm serious, dude. Waxwork 2 finally ends in a cataclysmic sword fight through time, which the guy from Gremlins and the dude that played Carl in Die Hard. Yes, seriously. Fortunately, they don't battle through cheap knockoffs of the movies they starred in. In my years as a humor writer, I have learned that the German terrorist and uh, gremlins don't mix. Unfortunately, they do battle through a Godzilla knockoff. The lizard looked a little too cute to truly terrorize Tokyo. Of course, the original Godzilla looked a little too cute to really actually terrorize Tokyo. Son. I brought a monster home. Can I keep him? Dad. No, son. You know what your mother will think. Aw, look at the guy. Well, I guess we can keep him, son. Hooray! Look, it's Gamera! Gamera flies down and squishes the kid. Dad, thank God that kid was kind of annoying. And then, uh, that's it. That's where the essay ends. So, yeah, that, that was my little humor essay that I wrote after watching uh, Waxwork 2, Lost and Stupid. And uh, it really was just kind of silly. I mean... Yeah, just a, it really was just a bad knockoff of a bunch of different movies, and, and that seriously was, like, the ending. Like, it was, like, they, they weren't going through time, they were somehow stuck in the video game that God and Satan play on a regular basis for the fate of the world. So, yeah, that's, that was, uh, that's how it ended. <laughs> In fact, I don't even remember if the murder trial even came up by the end of the movie. It's been a while since I've seen it, but, uh, you know, I just don't want to put myself through it again. Uh, but I did want to share it with you all, so I decided to resurrect that really old piece of writing of mine and, and you know, give it a whirl. Go ahead and, uh, you know, share my thoughts after, after seeing a movie way back in the day. And uh, I hope you enjoy. Alright, so uh, I think we were in the middle of tuners, uh, in the middle of a chapter of tuners, so I'm going to go ahead and finish that chapter up, and then 
I think next week we're going to get into some more Orion. All right, thank you. Next up, Tuners. Previously on Tuners, uh, basically John joins this secret organization that keeps the people from traveling between universes and uh, kind of basically messing with people. And uh, they have these tuning devices, the TFs, and uh, they basically listen to the sound of the alternate universes and only a very few people have it. John's one of the people that have that ability. And that's how they get between the universes. And uh, essentially they are in the middle of a crisis and they're all having to jump to a universe because uh, there's something called a breach in progress. Anyways, this is chapter 14 continued. Even though John had tuned before, he wasn't quite used to it. It was also the first time he didn't anchor himself to Abby, so there was a brief moment of nervousness, as if he were about to skydive or something. Then he disappeared from reality, and for a moment he was nowhere at all. All of his senses were gone, except for a sense of hearing. The hum of 39E coursed through his body. It became a part of his being. All this happened while he felt like his insides were being pulled apart at the atomic level. And then he was back in the world again, listening to the monster child of customer service hold music. His head swam and he stumbled forward. A hand caught him and steadied him. It was Abby. She held her hands to her lips. John realized that they had tuned to the underside of a platform. It was a temporary platform, the kind promoters would set up at a mall where local DJs would have all sorts of silly contests, like singing while drinking water or stacking plastic cups into a pyramid. There were no silly contests or DJs. There were cultists on the platform above them. John could see the massive bone boot of one of them. He risked a peek from under the platform. There was a crowd gathered at the center of the giant concourse on the first floor. Cultists surrounded all of them. There were men, women, and children huddling and whimpering in fear. There was a pair of massive escalators. Cultists were dragging people hiding in stores and holding them down below. Blood dripped from the stage. John wished he had grabbed one of the guns. He didn't care that it wouldn't work after a tune. He'd feel better with more than just a sword and a crossbow. A pair of boots paced back and forth on stage. They were heavy and each clump echoed in the open space. The owner of the boots addressed the crowd. My dear, what is your name? A girl's voice trembled in fear. Marlene, please sir, I, I, I want to go home. John heard a blade swoosh through the air, and the girl squealed in terror. You will go home, child, if you hear the holy noise, the cultist leader said. Please, I want my mom, the girl stammered. How old are you? Speak true. Fourteen, sir, I'll be fifteen in a few months. Do you hear the noise, child? Please, I don't know what you want me to hear. Do not lie. I will know if you lie. Do you hear the holy noise? Please, I just hear music. I don't... 
There was a swooshing of a blade and a loud thump on the stage. The crowd gasped in horror. The head of the girl rolled off and landed in front of John. He ducked back further under the stand where the tuners were all gathered in a circle. We, we need a plan, Ludi whispered. Really? DeAndre said. I thought we were just going to sit back and watch. Maybe make some popcorn. Bruh, I love that pirate popcorn, the one with the cheese, Meat Hook said. Stay on task, guys. John heard Hector through the earbuds. Can anyone see what's going on on stage? On it, Ludi said, and tried to find a gap in the planks. Maybe we can distract the guards, eliminate those nearest to the escalators, and let the crowd through, Patel said. We still have to seal the breach, Abby said, and we don't know where that is yet. But, but... Don't the holes between universes close after you step through? John asked. DeAndre turned to John while the others continued planning. Normally, yeah. Tuning is like moving through a liquid membrane. When the cultists punch through the membrane, it seals behind them. On rare occasions, a tear stays open and a permanent portal between worlds is created. Anyone can pass through cultists or not. Sealing is the easy part. It's finding them that's hard. Why? John said. Easier said than done. It could be anywhere in this mall, DeAndre said. Once again, scanning technology doesn't work. We have to follow the sound with our ears. And once the battle starts, you won't have time to concentrate on what you're hearing. DeAndre, Abby said, do you think you could make it to the second floor if we covered you? Yeah, I'm pretty fast here, but there are many of them. John didn't have anything to add to the conversation. He decided to put his headphones on instead and listen for the breach. At first, it was only crappy music. And then, the sound of the bridge they had just used to tune. After a while, he heard a noise underneath all of it. It was different than the rest. It was a low rumbling, like a volcano groaning from the pressure building in its magma chambers. John was able to block everything from his mind and just concentrate on that one noise. It was like he had the ability to pick one very soft sound from millions of salty in his ears and amplify it. The sound was so soft and drowned out by everything he was hearing. So he made it all disappear. The music disappeared, the voice of Hector talking to the group disappeared, and the hum of the, of the point where they had just passed through disappeared. He tuned into the sound and zeroed in on it. It was close, very close. He crawled to the back of the platform and peeked out of the curtain that covered the underbelly of the stage. Down the concourse of the mall, he could see what was making the noise. John's mouth hung open in awe while the rest of them squabbled over a plan. It looked like someone had blasted a hole in the universe. There was rubble, dangling wires, and an all sort of mess around the hole. The breach had torn clear through this dimension into a deep abyss beyond. The worst part was the breach itself was expanding. At first, John was too transfixed by the hole to do anything but gawk, but then he noticed the abyss get wider and wider. It expanded just enough to bend one of the dangling wires towards it. He pulled a crossbow boat and aimed it just to the side. The boat curved and was sucked into it. They're in trouble. Uh, guys? John said. They all still continue to argue over a plan. Guys? There was still no response. Guys! John Whisper yelled. Everyone stopped and turned towards John. I think I found the breach and it seems to be growing bigger. 
John said and opened the backstage curtain enough for them to see it as it sucked a kiosk that was too close. The universe is collapsing, Abby said. We have to seal it now. The cultist leader on stage tore open the floor paneling. The tuner scattered as a few of the cultists jumped to the underside of the stage. The crowd erupted in panic and trampled over each other to get out of the mall. The cultists were guarding the perimeter were overwhelmed by the numbers of panicking people. A cultist stabbed at John and DeAndre wrapped his nunchucks around the oncoming blade and snapped it in half. He spun around and knocked over another cultist in the head. Patel climbed to the back of an opponent and slit his throat. She threw one of her swords and it stuck into the back of another that was about to stab John. The other tuners fought their way from under the stage and were locked in combat with the cultists. Ludi was running between the wounded, attending their needs. There's a glass cylinder in Ludi's backpack, Abby yelled. As John was fighting off another cultist, another came running up to them and Patel ran him through with two blades at the same time. A third cultist stabbed her in the back and the blade crumpled on her tough skin. John dodged and sidestepped attacks while trying to get to Ludi who was fixing the wound of an innocent bystander that got gutted by a stray blade. John really wasn't good with a sword yet, he used it to parry attacks. The leader saw John in charge. He was a massive man in bone armor that was stained with blood. Unlike the flunky colonist, he had three star scars on his forehead. Abby tossed a dagger at him and it stuck him in the eye. She used the distraction to climb up on top of him, clearing the way for John. The leader pulled knife from his eye and pulled out a giant mace from his back. He began to swing the mace wildly, knocking down friend and foe alike. John made it to Ludi and retrieved the cylinder from his backpack. It was filled with a glowing blue and white liquid. Cultus kicked John to the floor and pulled out a gnarled blade with one hand and ejected the uh, blade from the other. The cultus snarled and lunged for John. Meathook knocked her with his hammer as if she were a golf ball and she landed somewhere on the second floor. John had let go of the cylinder and rolled towards DeAndre's feet. Be careful with this, DeAndre yelled and nudged his foot on it and tossed it to John with a flick. John snatched it out of the air. Why? John said. What's in it? Just break it inside the breach, DeAndre yelled as he ducked another blow and hit a cultist in the face with his nunchucks and spun to defend himself against oncoming blows. Just be careful that you don't get sucked inside when you do. John looked towards Abby. The battle with the leader had taken them all the way to the empty food court nearby. Even though he's blind in one eye and bleeding, he was a fearsome opponent. She was ducking and dodging between the massive swings of his mace. She had stuck him several times while dancing around for another shot. He could see that he was beginning to tire. John looked towards the breach. It was growing much faster now. A pillar that held up the second story ceiling crumbled and got sucked inside. The entire backstage collapsed. An unlucky mall person was lifted off the ground and disappeared into the abyss. The breach was engulfing reality, and the process was speeding up. John wanted to help Abby, but he also needed to plug the breach. Abby was running across the food court tables with a mace, and it smashed everything behind her. She slipped and fell between two tables and tumbled to the ground. He plopped one of the automatically unfolding skateboards, and it threw it to the ground. He built speed and headed towards Abby. What are you doing? DeAndre yelled. The breach, you need to seal it. The leader raised his mace for the killing blow and John grinded to a halt behind the guy. 
Hey, ugly, John yelled. I heard the holy noise. It was your old man taking a crap. It sounded pretty religious to me. The leader roared and turned to swipe at John, but John was already off in one direction, going full speed for the breach. The leader bounded after him. John jumped on his board and flipped it around in midair at the last possible moment. The gravity was light enough on this planet to get some serious height. He placed the cylinder in the leader's hand and said, Could you hold this for me? Before the leader knew what hit him, one of Abby's daggers shattered the cylinder and John pushed the man into the breach. Before the leader could regain his balance, the guy was sucked into the growing portal with a swirling blue and white goo. The goop from the cylinder grew brighter and brighter. Abby yelled towards John, Let's get out of here! John tossed his skateboard on the ground and took off in the opposite direction. He scooped up Abby and they darted through the mall. The rest of the cultists and the other tuners scattered. There was a blue and white lightning crackling through the portal. It built intensity until it exploded and a shockwave ripped through the mall, shattering windows in all the stores. Abby, John, and all the cultists were knocked over. Before John had time to think, the breach spewed forth this blue and white foam. It spread like a tsunami in all directions. A few cultists were hit by the wave and instantly hardened around them, turning into a hard blue block. Abby wrapped her arms around John and they went at top speed. The wave roared through the mall towards them. Abby squeezed as the foam drew closer. They were about to be overwhelmed when John noticed a stairwell leading towards the basement. He hopped on the railing and grinded towards a set of double doors. They crashed through and tumbled to a halt. John and Abby quickly slammed the door shut and the foam crashed against the makeshift barrier. They could see it harden around the edges. Once the wave had passed, John turned towards Abby. She seemed alright other than some bruises. They both dropped on the ground, exhausted. Alright, that was Tuners. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to go ahead and switch off to Orion next week. Just to recap, I'm switching between Tuners and Orions because I got requests for uh, hearing them both. So uh, you're going to get some Orion next week. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening. So if you don't know already, go ahead and listen to Real Paranormal Activity with Aaron Hunter on Monday nights. I'm on Tuesdays. Terry's Mysterious Moments with Terry Davenport is on Wednesdays. And then with Patrick Sean Jones, you got the Sandman's Lullaby, and it comes to a podcast near you as a phantom podcast. And they're all good, so listen to them all. All right, thank you so much. And remember, the Severed Hand defense is a great defense uh, if you live in horror movies. So it's believable in horror movies. I don't know if it works in the real world. In fact, I'm guessing it doesn't.